just call it evilness. It's evil. And we, we, we all agree that that kind of stuff is evil. But uh, then he calls out some other things. He calls out foolishness as being evil. He calls out being jealous as being evil. Pride. Uh, gossip is even considered evil by God. A lot of these things we just chalk up to natural emotional responses. Like, yeah, it's okay to be a little jealous at some times. It's okay to, you know, to operate in some of these things a little bit. But Jesus is calling them evil. So they oppose the nature and the character of God. When we read this passage, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, we tend to have more of an outward viewpoint. It's very um, subjective. We immediately focus on the evil that's around us, right? Or the evil that's in somebody else. We say, yeah, I'll overcome some evil with good. And we become, we become the whistleblowers or the referees for darkness. Okay, does anybody know what I'm talking about? We, we, if we're not careful, we just become the referee. We go, whoop, hey, there's some darkness. Whoop, I don't agree with that. Hey, I don't agree with you. That's dark. Hey, time out. Darkness, right? Darkness over there. We become a referee. Oh, hey, five-minute major intentional darkness. Get in the box, right? That was a hockey reference. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, I love hockey. It's not just because I married a Canadian. Well, it's probably 80% of the reason why. <laughs> but we become a referee for darkness. And listen, I've got a very important thing to tell you tonight. Jesus, yes, we are called to be the light. We are called to expose the darkness. But if the evil in here matches the evil out there, we are never going to change anything. So Jesus is saying, hey, that's great that you want to do all this stuff, but it first starts with you. Stop looking at everything subjectively. Stop having an outward viewpoint and start looking within because as much as we like to think that we love God, there is still some evil in our own hearts. Again, that word evil, when we think about it through a Western mindset, we kind of back up and go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm born again, blood-bought, redeemed. There ain't no evil in me. Well, <laughs> Jesus would beg to differ, okay? It's just anything that opposes the nature and the character of God would be considered evil. So don't raise your hand, but... How many of us have some thoughts and desires that might oppose the nature and the character of God? I just rose my own hand. Uh, and I'll admit to it. Um, so that's why Paul writes Romans 12 the way that he did. All right? He didn't just cap it off with a zinger at the end so you could quote it. No, everything in chapter 12 is really leading up to it. He says, you want to overcome evil with good. This is how you do it. We are to be separate from the world and I love, the very first thing that he addresses is the need for inward transformation. And we're to be separate from the world if we want to change it. So his whole letter is an outline on how to overcome evil within you, right? Verses 1 and 2 talks about transformation, becoming a living sacrifice. Verses 3 through 8, humbling ourselves and using our gifts to serve him and to serve other people. Verses 9 through 20 then he gives us even more detail on, to on how to behave like a good Christian, right? He outlines doing good. So he's saying, if you don't want to be overcome by evil, do these things. And once we've addressed the evil within, then we can be a proper light to the world, all right? So I don't want to live backwards. I don't want the cart before the horse. I want to, first of all, know and understand God's divine order and get in line. 
all right? So many times we see something bigger than ourselves and we get really excited about it. I remember last year we took part of this thing called the Global Leadership Summit. And you know the cliche saying, dream big, right? You gotta dream big. This one lady just shattered that narrative and she said, no, I want you to dream small. And I was like, um, why is this lady up here? <laughs> uh, but she was basically saying, hey, if you're going to accomplish that massive dream, it starts on a small level, something that's scalable, something, you know, she, she, had, this, she had this massive dream to serve people in this other country, and she didn't even know her, her college roommate. And so the essence of that was, hey, I love that you have big desires, but let's start with you. Let's start with the, your neighbor. Let's start with the Jerusalem, right? Let's start with the ones that you know. Let's start with ourselves. So if we are to overcome evil by doing good, we've got to look at ourselves first. So that's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. Pastor Mark has gone over the first few verses of Romans 12. Tonight we're going to focus on verse 3. So Romans 12, 3, um, this is in the New King James says this, for I say through the, gace, <laughs> through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. The New Living Translation says it like this, because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Do not think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Here it is in the Passion. God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. It's like, ow, man. Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement. And then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. Those, <laughs> those are good. So tonight we're going to scratch the surface on humility. All right, so remember when I talked about how Jesus said there's evil within your own heart. He had a list. Pride was on that list. So pride is evil. <laughs> and a lot of us operate in pride. I'll be the first one to uh, raise my hand on that one. Okay? So this was the very thing that was uh, Satan's downfall, right? He was exalting himself. He was lifted up in pride. He wanted to exalt himself even above the throne of God, okay? And he isn't using any new tactics, all right? The devil isn't using any new tactics. If pride literally caused his fall and destruction, then he's going to try and get you to fall for the same thing. He wants you to be overcome by this form of evil. Uh, but we are to overcome it. We are to overcome our pride, okay? So that sounds like a great little segue for me to talk about a story when I was in pride. <laughs> I could list a bunch. We could be here all night. Uh, this is a, I was thinking back on something I could share, and this one thing stood out to me because it was just so funny. Uh, first of all, let me just say this. I'm a researcher. Raise your hand in here if you're a researcher. Like, hey, all you marrieds, raise your hand if you really kind of annoy your spouse by how much you research things. That's me. 
All right, that's totally me. You know, Brittany's like, hey, maybe we should get bikes for the family and go on bike rides. And I spend like an entire week researching. I become the bike expert. I say, hey, you know what? We need at least 180 millimeters of travel on the front fork because I'm going to bottom out when I'm going over the jump. She goes, whoa, 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 this is a family bike ride. Like we're, Charlotte is going to be in a trailer behind you. I'm like, yeah, 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 that all the more need for a full suspension bike. Right? I need at least 180 millimeters of travel on that front fork so I can go off the jumps and we're going to get the trailer with shock absorbers for Charlotte. And here's the best brands, here's the price points, and I just lay it all out. And I was humbled in that moment and we ended up buying the cheaper bike and it actually worked super well. And I have not taken my daughter over any jumps. Uh, so back to the research thing. Um, I'm a car guy. I love cars. Uh, I love trucks, uh, fast cars, whatever it is. I used to have a Toyota Tacoma, and I wanted to lift it. So I did a bunch of research. I'm the kind of guy who I get a vehicle, and I immediately find a forum about that vehicle, and I join it. And I'm like, hey, guys, I'm new to the forum. I just got a Tacoma. What's up? And uh, I wanted to lift it, so I did all this research about lifting this Tacoma. And uh, I downloaded diagrams and schematics of my own suspension. I became an expert. I knew it. And with the help of Lee... And Pastor Mark and Dustin, we, we uh, did the suspension on my truck. It went like a breeze, and I just thought I was an expert. And so I went on the forums, and I said, hey, guys, I just did this. Hit me up if you need anything. <laughs> and uh, I remember a guy was on there, and he goes, he goes yeah, I'm going to lift my truck. I want to do a six-inch lift. And I, all, and I didn't know. I only knew what I knew, right? And so I might be getting into too much detail here, but <laughs> I go, hey, I wrote up this response that was so snarky, that was so prideful. I said, listen, man, I just did it without the help of anybody. And here's the thing. If you do a six-inch lift, your CV axles are going to be like this, and you're going to wear everything out, and it's going to be terrible. Not knowing that a six-inch lift, it's a drop bracket lift. You cut the cross member. It doesn't affect your CVs. So anyways, I literally had about 100 members on the forum call me out. This is called cyber pride and cyber humility. I got banned from the forum for spreading false information. No joke. Go to Tacoma World, look up Jay Rosler. You will not find me on there anymore because I got banned. And I was like so confident that I knew what I was talking about. I remember one guy private messaged me and said, dude, you have no clue what you're talking about. You should just shut up. So I had a piece of cyber humble, humble pie. Cyber humble pie is pretty good. Uh, so anyways, that's just a quick story of my cyber pride and uh, the humility, the, 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 the humiliation that came with it, although it being on the internet, was still pretty painful because a community of people that I had never seen rejected me. So we are to overcome our pride. So back to Romans 12. The fact that Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to means that this was a pretty common problem, and it always will be, all right? So by nature, human beings inflate our perception of ourselves, always measuring everything that we see and hear against the standard of our own perspective. That's kind of just human nature. We, we, we compare it against our own perspective, our own opinions, and our own feelings. This is what you would call subjective reasoning. All right, by default, humans use subjective reasoning. Subjective just meaning that it's based, uh, it has a bias. It's based off of feelings and opinions and your own perspective. That's why I said we always 
have an outward look because, you know, when we tend to look inward, it hurts our own feelings. So we tend to not do that. And we just look at everybody else and we do that subjectively. So, which is why in, ver in the verses before, Paul wrote about the importance of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Why? So we could think soberly. In other words, so we could think objectively. So what I'm talking about, there's subjective reasoning and then there's objective reasoning. So objective reasoning is based on facts or truth without bias, okay? You know, you will do yourself a favor and others a favor if you learn to think objectively, okay? So God and his word are absolute truth. It is the objective standard on which we base our lives. So let's go back to verse 3. Um, we'll go back to it in the New Living Translation. He says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. By the faith God has given us. So let's break down faith for a minute. There's many, many definitions, but I'm just going to give you a real simple one. Faith, in essence, is total and complete reliance upon Jesus. Total and complete reliance upon Jesus. So I heard a minister talk about this verse this way, and I really liked it. He says, when faith stands in front of a mirror, the mirror becomes a window with the glory of Christ on the other side. Faith looks to Christ and enjoys him as the sum and judge of all that is true and good and right and beautiful and valuable and satisfying. So what Paul is saying is that the essence of the new Christian mind is that we see and that we savor, that we behold and we embrace Jesus Christ and not ourselves as the supreme truth. Again, that's subjective versus objective. If I look towards myself as supreme truth, truth again, that's a huge bias. And I have a very limited perspective. Thinking objectively would be to think about something or someone who never changes, and that's Jesus, all right? It takes faith to truly see ourselves for who we really are, and that's unfortunate because we're flawed, right? We have, a, we have fallen short of God's glory, so it takes faith to accurately measure ourselves, and it takes faith to change ourselves so we can overcome the evil that's within ourselves, and then ultimately overcome the evil that's around us. So it takes faith. We are to measure ourselves by a supreme authority, not by ourselves. Someone who's caught up in pride eliminates the need for faith. It's just that simple. I can do it by myself. I've got it figured out. God will not work with someone who has no need for him. But when I realize that I am only enough through Jesus, the resisting stops and the grace comes and he lifts us up. Amen? So your own measure rises and falls with your measure of him. Your own measure rises and falls with your measure of him. Amen? So Tom, Tom Schreiner, he has a book in, in, or a commentary on chapter 3, Romans 12, uh, verse 3. And I really like what he said. Um, he says, what prevents pride from cropping up is a sober estimation of one's faith. And this sober estimation is based on the truth 
that God apportioned to each one a measure of faith. Pride is eliminated when one recognizes that the faith one has is a gift of God and not the result of one's own virtue. So I get two things out of this verse that Paul's talking about. The first being, if you think you're all that and a bag of chips, is that a saying? Do people say that? I say it. <laughs> number one being, if you think you're all that and a bag of chips, just remember that God is the one who gave you your gift. He's the one who gave you your calling. And he's the one who gave you your faith. So you are nothing without him. And secondly, if you're going to accurately assess yourself with a sober mind, you have to use your God-given faith as the standard because pure faith always is looking away from self and looking towards Jesus. By nature, faith is an act of humility. Amen? So those are the two things I get out of that. So not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to is a way of saying be humble. I better slow down. We're going to get out early. This is uh, another quote from C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. And this is what he writes about humility. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I'll say that again. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. How often am I consumed with myself? How often am I thinking about God and his desires? How often am I thinking about others and their desires? Okay? We always think of humility as, well, there is a, a definition of humility as being a lowly mindset. But it's really talking about in, in uh, view of other people, are you thinking of yourself more highly of them or more valuable than them? Or are you understanding that everybody has value and you being called to be a Christian are called to call out the value in someone else? Listen, humility doesn't say, hey, I'll be your doormat. Humility says, hey, I recognize your feet are dirty and I'd like to wash them. Amen? It's not being a doormat. So let's go into a few other verses on humility. 1 Peter 5. Verse 5, this is in the New King James, says, Likewise, you younger people, he just calls us out, you youngers, right? <laughs> Submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. We tend to read over that and go, man, yeah, okay, it's important to be humble. I get that. Read it slowly. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's another good story time. Every animal that I've ever owned has always resisted my love and affection towards them. And it's terrible. My last dog, Kona, she, she was amazing. But my desire was to get on the couch with her, and I just wanted to love her and hold on to her. And she resisted me. And I found myself saying out loud, love me back. Come on. And she just wanted to get out of my arms because it was uncomfortable. And then she went outside and she pooped and she chewed on the fence. She resisted me. And my dog before that, Liberty Bell. <laughs> Libby for short. <laughs> she resisted me as well. I'm bitter towards animals. 
You know, the owners love the animals way more than the animals love the owners. And I'm sorry to say this, but you think your dog loves you. Your dog loves that you feed it. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. But it's just the truth. So I wanted to love my animals and just sit on the couch and snuggle with them. But they resisted me. Which means actively trying to get away. Let's read this verse again. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, you could come before God and say all the right things in all the right order, but with the wrong heart, and God will say, whoa, back up six feet, please. Social distance from me. There's some pride going on there, and I don't jive with pride. Is that crazy to think that God Almighty, the one that we talk about, man, he loves me. God's love is reckless. Let's sing reckless love again. He'll resist you if you think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Wow. That's sobering. Romans 12, 16. In the New Living Translation, it says, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. And don't think you know it all. Some translations say, be of the same mind, which I like. But Paul isn't saying, hey, all of you be a carbon copy of one another. So if you actually read on in chapter 14, he actually talks about how inevitably there's going to be Christians with different opinions, different desires, different convictions. And we are to walk in love with one another and figure out how to be unified regardless of varying opinions and convictions. So he's not saying, hey, I want you to be exactly the same, which is why I love the translation that uses harmony. So let's look at the word harmony for a second. Musically speaking, harmony is the composite product when individual music notes group together to form a cohesive whole. So think of an orchestra, right? The flute player might be playing one note, the violinist might be playing a different note, the trombonist plays yet another different note. But when their individual parts are heard together, it's called harmony. Harmony is created. Uh, they are supportive notes that complement the melody. Harmony is different than melody. Harmony will support and add to the melody. And different harmonies coming together sound better together. So if I'm trying to live in harmony with my brothers and my sisters, it's going to take humility and it's going to take submission. I'm going to, re I'm going to have to recognize that if I want to be in harmony with someone else, I might have to change my pitch in order to match or in order to support what they're singing, in order to support what they're doing, right? And my, what I'm, the sound that I'm producing might sound amazing on its own. And then I put it in with other people. Your gifts and your callings might be great on their own, right? You get in the mix of a body and you realize, oh, hey, it's not exactly what I thought. I might have to change some things around a little bit. My viewpoint of what I thought I was called to was different. It's very sobering. God has called us 
to be unified. God has called us to gather together. And when we're gathered together, we unify. And then I, I believe this, my calling, I still haven't had it all figured out yet. But when I'm apart from the body, it's very vague and very uh, uh, confusing. When I come in and I recognize, hey, this person's doing this. This person uh, uh, has this calling. And oh, I, I can see how this, what I have supports them. All of a sudden, everything becomes more clear. Everything becomes more clear. And the ultimate note, a harmony is so pleasing to the ears, right? You know, sometimes we pull it off here at NCC. When we have like a really good five-part harmony in the choir, ooh, it's tasty, right? It sounds amazing. All those parts individually are eh, okay. But when you put them together, it sounds amazing. Sometimes your note individually it can sound wrong, right? It can sound bad until you bring it into submission with other people, in unity with other people. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all, right? So are you starting to see how humility is really about shifting your focus away from yourself? Amen? In some ways, it's to prefer other people. To prefer, which is another definition of yield. Uh, we're supposed to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, right? which means we're supposed to prefer him. If we want to live in harmony, we're going to have to learn how to prefer. We're going to have to learn how to yield. We're going to have to learn how to get the focus off of ourselves. And I'm going to take a drink of water. Hold on. All right, you getting anything out of it? So, Here's a, here's a verse that really supports what I just said about getting, shifting your focus away from yourself. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 in the New King James says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Each of you the interests of others. It's very counter to Western mindset, which is I look out for numero uno, right? Here's another one, James 4.10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Listen, God's in the exalting business. That's what he wants. He wants to exalt you more than you want to exalt yourself. But, it only comes on his terms. Remember, when you try and exalt yourself, which is thinking of myself more highly than I ought to, he's going to resist you. And ultimately, that will be your downfall, right? Pride comes before destruction, comes before a fall. But if you prefer and you serve and you value others, John was talking about our core values. You do those things. God's going to exalt you. Your gift will make room for itself. You don't have to try and promote your gift. Find out a way that your gift can serve someone else, and eventually it will exalt you. So I want to give you guys four practical steps 
on how you can cultivate a heart of humility. We could probably list a hundred steps, and there's a hundred scriptures that I didn't read. But I want to give you four practical, practical steps. I really like things that I'm like, yep, I, absolutely, I can do that. I get it. I understand it. It makes sense. Four steps. So step number one on cultivating a heart of humility, practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. Thankfulness in and of itself is an act of humility, right? You are recognizing that another has done something for you that you did not do yourself, right? Or you could not do for yourself. So the more we integrate gratitude towards God and others, the more we will be chasing after humility. So that's step number one. Practice gratitude, which is the will of God for your life. <laughs> if you want to know God's will, start with thankfulness. Step number two, find someone or somewhere to serve. Serving someone else shifts the focus off of you and onto their needs. And also, you want to assess the cost of your serving. If serving someone else costs you nothing, are you actually serving that person? Serving should always cost you something, right? Find someone or somewhere to serve. Step three, strive to hear and not be heard. If you were here last Sunday morning with Pastor Mark, he talked about everyone's need to be heard in this day and age. Everyone wants their voice to be heard. But humility listens first. So strive to hear and not be heard. Too often we care more about being heard. The stance of I need to be heard communicates that you have all the answers. It's a spirit of pride. Humility listens and humility is always learning. And step number four, support leaders who value it. Support leaders who value humility. Okay, if they value it, they're gonna demonstrate it and they're gonna promote it. And a good leader will never mandate something that they won't model themselves. Find someone who practices humility, seek those leaders out, seek to learn from them, submit to their leadership and their authority, okay? Pastor Mark is a great example. You don't have to look too far. You don't need a YouTube pastor. We have one who demonstrates humility every week right here from the pulpit. We need to submit, we need to glean, and we need to learn, all right? When you serve someone who has all, who's, who's you who's practicing all those principles, God sees that, God values that, God honors that, and he'll honor you, all right? Let's go through those steps one more time. Step one, practice gratitude. Step two, find someone or somewhere to serve. Step three, strive to hear and not be heard. And step four, support leaders who value humility. Again, we're reading all this because we want to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil by doing good. And it starts with us. It starts within. Amen? That's all I got for you tonight. So we're going to go ahead and we're going we're gonna to pray. And then we'll dismiss. Thank you guys for listening. Father God. I thank you 
for a spirit of humility being cultivated in every heart in this room this evening. I pray, Father God, that those who listened with an open heart, I thank you that a seed has been planted and as they are faithful to water it, you are faithful to produce something in our hearts that lasts, that's enduring. So I thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, we have a great example of humility in Pastor Mark and we have a great example of humility in you. Famous words from you was not my will, but your will be done. You put us first, Jesus, and we're so thankful. So I pray, Father God, that as we walk this thing out, that you're with us and that you're helping us and that you give us grace by the Spirit of God to operate in humility. I pray, Father God, that if there's anything in our hearts that's prideful, that's self-seeking, that you would expose it and that we would have enough humility to understand that that needs to change. Father God, I thank you that you're creating in us a clean heart. And that if we're to change things around us and to change other people and to have an impact on the world, we've got to be a clean vessel. Like Jerry was talking about a few weeks ago. That the vessel that you're using should be pure and should be clean. and should be rid of all those things that would insulate and not conduct. So I thank you, Father God, for a spirit of humility working in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you guys so much. Is there anything I'm missing or anything I need to announce? I will do that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. We're good. Why don't you guys stand up with me and say this as we go. Say, what God did in Christ Jesus, what God did in Christ Jesus. far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. All right. You may be dismissed. Make it a great week. Remember, tune in. Uh, take 10. We're doing it this week, Monday through Thursday. It's going to be good. Youth, come on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. All right. <laughs>